there's this really fascinating place in Italy. When Sydney and I were there a couple of years ago, I wanted to go see it, but we didn't have time to get there. It's been something that's been on my radar for a long time. It's this old uh, bell tower called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Have any of you guys ever been to the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Just a few of you. Did you take that picture where you were like holding it up? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa is just this really fascinating place. If you've never seen it or never been there, it's this eight-story tower. It was built about a thousand years ago. And they, they built this tower. It's about 150 feet tall. And what makes it so unique is the fact that it's leaning nearly seven degrees to the right. So if you're standing on level ground and you look at it, it looks like it's getting ready to fall over. But it's the story behind the Leaning Tower of Pisa that I've always found so fascinating. They started building it about a thousand years ago. A group of architects and builders came together and they spent five years laying the foundation. Spent five years like digging the trench, like laying the hand cut stones, doing everything that they did. They got to the end of the five years and they realized that the foundation they had just finished laying had three major flaws. The stones they had used were too small for a structure that size. The base that they had built was too narrow for a tower that was going to be that tall. And the land that they had picked to put the tower on had not settled enough to support the weight of a tower that would be that heavy. And so they had just spent five years, all this money, all these resources, and four or five dudes who were in charge, they get together in a room and they said, what are we going to do about it? They said, do you want to scrap the last five years of work and, and redo this? Or is there something that we could come up with to fix it? And apparently they had been drinking all night because one of them comes up with this idea. He says, what if we just re-engineer the next eight floors? He said, instead of redoing the foundation, what if we make one side of each floor a little taller than the other side? And by the time we get to the top, you'll never notice that it's leaning. They spent 172 years building the next eight floors. And how did it turn out? (laughs) Completely crooked, right? The decision that those... Four or five men made affected the next three generations of builders as they built something that ultimately would still look terrible. And then for the next 20 generations, the next thousand years, they've spent money every year trying to figure out how to keep it from falling over. And I was listening to this story and I've seen the Leaning Tower and I go, how absurd is this? Like how crazy that a couple of guys would build a foundation, they would realize it's faulty, they'd spend the next 172 years, the next three generations, trying to just correct the facade so no one else would notice it was crooked, and then spend the next 20 generations holding it up. I go, who does that sort of thing? I went, Christians? It's the church, right? Have you ever noticed our propensity to do this as the people of God? We'll miss little aspects of what God intended for us when we begin to lay faulty foundations instead of just raising our hand and saying, guys, we really screwed this one up. What do we do? (laughs) Will we get the next three generations to help us build on the foundation that we laid, which is crooked, and then we spend the next 20 generations holding up something that was never designed to stand? And we do this all the time, don't we? And this is what I want us to do for the next six weeks. We're in a new series, and I want us to think about the foundations, the, the, the things that God has been building and laying in you, the things that God is, is laying in our lives, in our church. I want us to think about the things that kind of knit us together as a community. And then I want us to ask the really hard questions. Is the foundation that God building in you and that he's building in us, will it not only serve to bless our city, but will it bless the generations to come? Or will we be a part of a faith 
that is crooked on the outside and difficult to deal with for generation after generation after generation. So this morning, we're going to look at the first one, this kind of this first huge idea, this first kind of belief that unifies us as a church body. And it's this idea that God is a good and perfect father. This idea that God is a good and perfect father. We're going to start Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5. I just want to read through this, and we're going to kind of come back and break it down verse by verse this morning. But this is Jesus speaking. He says, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. He says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners so that people will see them. But I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask Him. So when you pray, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I love this. Jesus is in a crowd, a lot like the crowd that's in this room. And Jesus begins to address a core issue, a foundational issue that a lot of us don't have the honesty to usually deal with. But Jesus kind of asked the proverbial question. He says, have you guys ever struggled to connect with God? And I won't make you raise your hand, but I'll just go first. I don't know how many people in this room, but I just want to tell you. There have been so many months and seasons and years of my life where I've really found it tough to connect with God. Have you guys ever felt that before? Have you ever found it like challenging? Pretend you're not in church for a minute. Just have you found it challenging to have a relationship with a God that you can't see and touch and like go to the movies with, you know? Because when we think about connecting with someone or something, we think about all of the things that you and I can do with each other. And yet, isn't it true that so many times those things become increasingly difficult with a God we can't see? Here's what's cool is Jesus looks out of the crowd and he says that tension you feel in regards to connecting with God is not a new struggle. He says people have been doing it for, for all of time. And he says, and they usually try to connect with God in one of two ways. He says they try to connect with him through religion or they try to connect with him through the ways of the world. And either one of those will let you down. And so this is what Jesus is talking about in verse 5. He says, some people pray like hypocrites. And when you think of the word hypocrite, you probably think of religious people. That's what we think of. But when Jesus used the word hypocrite, it was their word for actors. And so Jesus says, have you ever seen the people that stand on the stage? Have you ever seen the people that are on a screen? And everyone in the audience knows that they're really not that person. But they're playing a part, right? He says that's the whole fabric of their life. They pretend to be someone they're not. They pretend to do something they don't really do. And the audience sits around and enjoys it. And Jesus said this is a real temptation when you feel this tension and not, of not being able to connect with God as you turn to religion. He says, and so many times when you turn to religion, we become like actors. And he says, here's what actors do. Actors come into church. They sing songs. They pray prayers at dinner. They do traditions with family, but when they're alone, they know that they don't know God. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that. Man, man, I have. Have you guys ever been completely alone and just thought about God and really gone, man, do I know him? And there have been like long seasons in my life where I've been there. And Jesus says, he says, don't like 
don't give in and become an actor and just play the game. And he says, and also don't be like your pagan friends, your worldly friends, who will try everything they know how to try in order to connect with God. He says, they'll say a lot of things, they'll do a lot of things, they'll try a lot of fads. They'll do, and he says, at the end of the day, religious people and pagan people still don't know their heavenly father. And Jesus is going to say, if you want to connect with God, he says, here's how you connect with God. And he begins to pray this prayer. Now, this is what I love. I want us to look not so much at how Jesus tells us to pray, because he is telling us how to pray. But this morning, I want us to look at what it is that he's revealing about God in the way that he tells us to pray. So look at this. We're going to start in verse 9. We're just going to go through this prayer kind of verse by verse. And uh, I would encourage you, Jesus is going to give us this picture, and he's just going to kind of unpack it for us. This is what he says. He says, when you pray, this is what you should pray, our Father, our Father. Isn't that problematic? Isn't that problematic? You know, I think one of the things that Jesus understands is that you can't connect with someone and you can't relate with someone unless you can imagine that someone. And so, for instance, if I was going to tell you a story about my childhood and I started telling you a story about how I had this thing for attending Ukrainian bar mitzvahs, like unless you're into Ukrainian bar mitzvahs, you're probably not going to relate to me, right? Because you can't picture them. But if I tell you a story about my third grade birthday party that was Ninja Turtle themed. <laughs> see, half of you can picture it right now. I dressed up as Leonardo. What color was my mask? Blue. See? <laughs> half of you are like, what's a Ninja Turtle? <laughs> <laughs> what's crazy is when you can picture something, you can connect with something. And Jesus knows that one of the reasons that we struggle to connect with God is because you don't picture anything when you picture God. If I told you to stand up and describe God for me, what most of us would begin to describe is a set of abstract concepts and ideas and beliefs, right? God is love. God is sovereign. God is pure. God is holy. And all of those things are true. But the problem with sovereignty and holiness and love and purity is they don't bring pictures to our minds. They bring lists. And relating to a list is like relating to a brick wall. And Jesus is going to begin to give us a new picture of what it looks like to connect with God. And he says, listen, this is the picture when you sit down to connect with God. I don't want you to think of some abstract cosmic set of ideas. I want you to picture a father. I want you to picture a father. And this is problematic because all of us had different experiences with fathers. Some of you were abused by your fathers. Some of you did not know your fathers. Some of you hated your fathers. Some of you loved your fathers very deeply, and Jesus is going to say whether you have a good picture or a bad picture of your father, it's still insufficient for the nature of who God is. Because God is so different, but he says, I want to give you a picture. This idea of God being a father was not a new idea to Jesus' time. In fact, the Jewish people in the Old Testament referred to God as father quite commonly. A few hundred years before Jesus was born, the Greek people began to refer to their god Zeus as the father of all gods. And so the people not only had a broken view of earthly fathers, they had broken views of heavenly fathers because the Jewish people believed that God the Father was distant. And the Greek people believed that God the Father was angry and mean. And Jesus is going to say, listen, your earthly pictures of fathers and your heavenly pictures of fathers pale in comparison to the reality of who your father really is. It's like restoration hardware. If you've ever been there. My wife loves that store. I hate it. But you go in there and they'll take this old piece of rusted metal with holes. 
Probably got it out of some field in Arkansas because that's where rusted metal goes to die. And they twist it up and they turn it into a $9,000 chandelier and it's in every magazine and people want it. And there's something about an artist that has the ability to take what someone viewed as discarded trash and turning it into something beautiful. That's really amazing, isn't it? And this is what Jesus is going to do over and over in the scriptures is what he's going to do even in this text. He's going to take a broken image, a broken picture, a father, and he's going to redeem it. And he's going to change it and he's going to say, listen, I'm going to take this rusted piece of metal. I'm going to turn it into something beautiful. When you pray, when you try to connect with God, regardless of your circumstances, I want you to picture a father. And then he's going to go through and he's going to give us several characteristics of the father he wants us to picture. And so if you take notes, I encourage you to just write down. There's going to be six of these that he's going to give us. And I encourage you to just think about these all week long and see what God does. This is the first one. He says, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. The word I want you to write down first is your Father, your heavenly Father is near. He's near. See, when we read the word heaven there that Jesus uses, we tend to think of somewhere distant. When we think of heaven, we think of somewhere that's otherworldly, kind of like we think of Mars. So even when we think about the story of Jesus raising from the grave and ascending to heaven, we think about Jesus doing what? Think about him leaving. The the Jewish people did not picture heaven the way that you and I picture heaven. They viewed it not so much as a place you went. They viewed it as a dimension you stepped into. So when they talked about the heavens, they talked about these three dimensions, what we would consider space, what we would consider our atmosphere, and what we would consider the very air we breathe. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, do you realize your heavenly father is as big as the cosmos, is as high as the clouds, and is as intimate as the air you breathe in every day. He said, do you realize your heavenly Father is like all around you? Now, this is something we say a lot in church, but my, my curiosity is, do any of us really believe that our heavenly Father is near? Like, just think about it for a minute. Like, let's get out of sermon mode, okay? Do you realize that God is in this room? Like right now. He's in your car. He's above you. He's beside you. He's over you. There's nowhere you can find yourself in which you will no longer be within the reach of the Father. When I was little, our family moved into a new neighborhood. And there's a kid that lived three houses down from us. He was my age. His name was Josh. We started hanging out and playing together. And I remember before I really knew him, he had always asked me these really annoying questions about my father. Hey, man, have you ever seen your dad shave? I'm like, well, he's a Clayton, so he shaves like once a decade. You know, we don't grow good facial hair, but yeah, occasionally I've seen him shave. You know, what, what kind of TV shows does your dad like to watch? Like, um, hey, what's your dad do in the morning? And I was like, man, this kid is weird. I'm not hanging out with this kid. As soon as I find new friends, I'm ditching this friend, you know. And we're just thinking that until the first night I went to spend the night at his family's house. And it was he, and it was his brother, and it was his mom. I remember just asking, I was in third grade, I said, hey, where's your dad at? And he said, oh, right after I was born, he said, my dad left us. And he sends me a birthday card every year, and he'll call me sometimes from trips. He's, like, going and doing things. And he's telling me all these outrageous stories. And I remember as a third grader going, man, his picture of a father is so different than my picture of a father. When he thinks of a dad, he thinks of a dad that's this distant guy that checks in occasionally. I think if we're honest with ourselves, most Most of us, even Christians in this room, the foundation that you've built your faith upon is upon a father who is only around every other weekend and occasionally on holidays. 
You picture a heavenly father that you can send correspondence to. And if you're lucky, he'll respond. And Jesus says, no, if you want to connect with God, here's what you've got to picture. He is so unbelievably close. He is near to you. He's near. And he keeps going. Look at the prayer, verse 9. He says, our father in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Don't you love the word hallowed? I remember being a kid. I was like, what in the heck does that mean? Is that haunted? I thought it was... uh, Apparently, it's the opposite of haunted. Someone said it means holy. And I thought, what does holy mean? You know? And they said it means set apart. And I thought, well, what does set apart mean? Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, do you realize your father is not only close to you, but your father, this is the second thing he shows us, your father is different from anything or anyone you ever encounter. His love, his power, his strength, his majesty, his joy, his abilities, everything about God the Father is uniquely different than anyone or anything you can ever imagine. I just want you right now, just play along with me. Close your eyes. Like right now, close your eyes. I want you to picture someone in your mind that you consider to be the most loving, wonderful person you know. You can't picture me. Picture somebody else. You know, it's crazy. It's no matter who you pictured. If you compared them to the greatness and the holiness and the wonderful love of God, they'd look like Adolf Hitler. Jesus says, I'm giving you a metaphor. I'm giving you a picture of God as father. He goes, but you need to understand that there is no one or nothing that even is close to matching him in his beauty and his goodness. He goes, your father is near he goes, your father is different. He keeps going. Look at verse 10. He says, your father is king. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who has a kingdom? A king, right? And I love this. You can almost see Jesus looking out at the crowd and he says, do you guys have any idea who your heavenly father is? You know, isn't it true that when your father has power, your perception of what is possible in the present and in the future is instantly changed. So I remember reading a story a few months ago about Barack Obama, his family. They were on vacation, and his daughters wanted to go to this mall to go shopping, and they shut down the entire mall so Barack Obama, his wife, and two daughters could go shopping. Can you imagine how crazy that would be if your dad was president? Like, you could go to Shoney's, and they'd shut it down. (laughs) All you could eat, eggs, tater tots, you know, just like... (laughs) crazy how awesome would that be you know the sky's the limit so what i love though when your dad has power it changes your perception of what's possible now and what's possible later i remember a few years ago when they remade the movie karate kid i loved listening to will smith talk about it he had told the story about how he was sitting on his couch with his son watching tv when the old karate kid came on and his son loved the movie And so his thought was, why don't I go out and hire someone to rewrite the movie? And what if I front the cash to produce the movie? And what if I hire my son to be the lead actor in the movie? And I went, man, what changes when your dad is Will Smith and you want to be Karate Kid? (laughs) I go, man, I told my dad I like Karate Kid and he literally signed me up for karate classes. He's like, that's all. My dad is weak, powerless. He's not Will Smith. (laughs) Things change when your dad has power. And Jesus looks out at the audience and he looks out at us. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, do you know who your father is? He's king over all of creation, over all of the cosmos, over every situation, over every spiritual power. Your father 
is in charge of everything. And most of you are choosing to live on spiritual food stamps instead of feasting at the table of the king. He goes, man, things are different when your father has power. Three weeks ago, our second son, Jack, was born. And I hadn't even had time to share the story with most of you, but we brought him home for a day and a half, and he gets sick. He's not doing real good. We can't figure out what's going on. So at 4 o'clock in the morning, we take him to the hospital's emergency room at Vandy. You know, three days old, he's there. By the time we get him there, he's like pretty lifeless and not responding real well. And I remember... Lifting him up, they, the doctor had me pick him up by the middle of his back so they could put an IV in him. And I remember his arms and his legs hanging off of him like a rag doll. Honestly, maybe the worst moment of my whole life. I remember going out and sitting in the ER waiting room. And there's another family that came in. It was like 5.30 in the morning. And their daughter had just been shot. And she was alive, but the mother was there and the brother uh, of the sister was there. I remember sitting there in the ER as they were talking about how frustrated they were that the father had not come down to the hospital yet to check on her. And we're thinking back on that moment, and I was sitting there going, okay, here I am, a father that is near. I'm near to my son. Here I am, a father that is different or holy in the sense because I'm actually there. I'm different than this other father, but it's no good if your father is near, and it is no good if your father is different, if your father is not powerful. I remember holding Jack and I was like, there is nothing I can do to keep this kid from dying. There's nothing I can do to help this kid live. Powerless. And I love Jesus says, you need to understand your father. He is near and he is different and he has the ability to change all circumstances. But some of you are still living in spiritual poverty because you've lost sight of the fact that your father runs a kingdom. And he keeps going. I love this. He says, give us today our daily bread. Now, we've got to address a problem with this because the reality is, whether you're honest enough to admit this or not, none of us like this part of the prayer. Isn't it true that none of us want God to be our daily provider? But we want God to be our weekly, our monthly, our yearly, our lifetime provider? I think most of the stress and the worry in my life has often come because God has failed to keep a promise that God never made. Have you ever found yourself in one of these predicaments where you're sitting around going, man, God, what am I going to do to pay the bills next week? God, what am I going to do to take care of the mortgage nation? God, what am I going to do with the kids? God, what am I going to do here? What am I going to do here? And what we find ourselves longing for is for God to be the one who provides our weekly, monthly, yearly, and lifetime bread. And what God promises us is that he'll be the type of father who will provide us our daily bread. That he'll give us the ability to sustain each and every day so that his name might be made hallowed among us. But the truth is we live in a culture that does not want to be sustained daily. Man, we, we, we want it for the long haul, don't we? I was thinking about how crazy it would be if earthly fathers treated their earthly kids the way that we want our heavenly father to treat us. You know, can you imagine how outrageous it would be if I went home and I gave Micah, he's two years old, if I went home and gave him 16 years worth of money for food? It's like, hey, you're going to college in 16 years. Here's money for food. Here's a list of how to check yourself into elementary school. Here's where you need to go to learn how to drive. Here's what you need to do to date. It's going to be unbelievably complicated. Here, but here's what you do. Wouldn't I be a rotten father if I gave him 16 years of provision? No, earthly fathers know that the end game is not simply providing for the need. The end game is providing for the need in a way that connects the child to the father. 
So how do I provide for my kids? Every day. Every day I sit there and I eat lunch with them. Try to make them eat lunch. Every night. Why? Because I want him to love me and know me. And I love him and know him. And to simply provide is not enough. Here's what's crazy. God in his goodness at times will withhold things from you in the future so you can enjoy him in the present. Have you ever thought about that? That God will provide in a way that keeps us coming back to his heart so that we can really find the reward, which is knowing him. So it gives us this picture of a God who is near, of a God who is holy or different, of a God who's a powerful king, of a God who is a provider. He keeps going here. I love this. He says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. He gives us this picture of a God who is eager to forgive. Of a father who is eager to be merciful. I mean, what an awesome picture of a father. Uh, I love all throughout the Bible, they so often when they talk of sin, they talk of debt. Because once again, sin is an abstract picture that we can't imagine. But most of us know what it's like to be in debt. Can you imagine you have a mortgage calling up the people that loaned you the money to buy your house and saying, hey, listen, I know we borrowed a lot of money five years ago. I'm really sorry about that. How about I give you an apology and we call it even? Can you imagine how terrible that'd go? They laugh at you, then they take your home. It's the way that the world works. And I love this. Jesus is giving us a picture of God. He says, listen, you've heard all these things about God and almost all of them are wrong. Do you realize that God is not out to get you? He's actually out to forgive you. It's a completely different picture. Two weeks ago, I was walking down Broadway in front of Bridgestone Arena, and this guy I'd never seen, they're protesting something. I didn't know what they were protesting. Apparently, they're just protesting humans. I walk up to him, and he says, Do you realize you're going to burn in hell forever because of what you've done to God? And I was like, Hey, my name's Dave. <laughs> nice to meet you. You know, that's literally the first sentence. And uh, that's how the water felt about that. And so I, I remember looking at him. I said, no. I said, I kindly disagree with you. And he says, well, have you ever told a lie? Yes, I told a lie. I knew, I knew exactly. He starts going through the Ten Commandments, asking me, yeah, I've broken almost all of them. Well, why do you think you're not going to be in hell? I said, man, because I know Jesus. And he's revealed a father that's much different than the father you know. And the father that you know has told you that it's all about your performance and what you can do. And the reality is you will always fall up short. He goes, but Jesus, the only one who has actually seen the father and knows the father, has given us a very different picture of the father. And it's through Jesus' work and Jesus' life and Jesus' ability that you and I get out of our old ways of viewing who God was and we begin to experience who God is. And he says, do you realize that your father is quick to forgive. He is near. He is different. He is a powerful king. He is a wonderful provider. He is merciful. And this is the last picture he gives us. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He says, he is a deliverer. He's a deliverer. It's a tough, tough word to say. Here's what's amazing to me is that God is not only in the business of forgiving and wiping out that which we've done, God is actually in the business of helping us in the moment so we continue to move forward in ways that don't kill us. I love this, that God the Father becomes this deliverer of the evil that's within us, and he delivers us from the evil that's without, outside of us as well. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life where 
You go, man, I just don't want to do what I'm doing, and you continue to do it. Anybody that says they haven't, they're lying. Those moments where you go, man, I do not want to do this. I do not want to do this. And you do it. And there are these moments where the evil and you just kind of flares up and it takes hold. And I love this promise. Jesus says you need to understand the father. He's the type of father that delivers you. He delivers you from the evil and the things that are going on in you. And he delivers you from the one that's attacking you. Just as nearly as impossible it was for many of you a few minutes ago to imagine that God was in this room. It is almost just as impossible for most of you to imagine that there are other beings and other things in this room. It's tough for you to imagine that there are evil forces out to get you. And one of the greatest lies that the enemy has convinced us of, convinced us of in the West is that he is not real. And so a lot of us go into battle not realizing we're in battle, getting shot by an enemy we do not believe is an enemy, and we wonder why we're bleeding out. And I love this picture of the Father, who's this great, great, great deliverer. When I was in... Third or fourth grade, one night after church, I was walking back to our car. It was a sunny night. It was dark. It was in the middle of the winter. I was walking back to meet my parents at the car. And there's this little cut through at our church between the two buildings. It was kind of an alley. I don't want to give you the wrong picture. It was not a shady, dangerous alley. It was just the place between two buildings. I remember walking through that alley. And there's a kid in our church who was a few years older than me. He looked like he was about 45. He was super tall. He's a man child. He had a terrible life. He had been beaten and abused most of his life, and so he'd become a, an abuser himself. He'd become this really kind of nasty bully. And I remember walking through this alley, and he grabbed me by the shoulders and pushed me up against the wall. I still remember, it's just, it just a terrifying moment. I remember the back of my head hitting the wall as he pushed me up against the wall. And for whatever reason, I don't remember why, he just started hitting my chin like this with his hand. He was just mocking me. I remember I was just so scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I just kind of reacted and I kicked the guy in the shin. It was like the worst possible move ever. And I remember he got so angry. I'll never forget. He just lifted up his, his hand and he raised back to punch me. And right about the time he was about to hit me, my dad was coming through the alley as well, cutting to our car. And this kid was big, but my dad was bigger. And he beat the... No. <laughs> that would have been Awesome. But my dad showed him mercy, but he did deliver me. He delivered me. And I go, some of us are just living with this false view of a father. Some of us are, are living with the false foundation of who God is. And so as the tower that we continue to build our faith on gets kind of crooked in some areas, and we find ourselves holding up theologies that were never meant to stand. And Jesus says, if you want to connect with God, he says, don't try to do it the way religious people do it. Don't try to do it the way that the world does it. He says, do it the way that kids talk to parents. And understand that he is near, that he is holy, that he is king, that he is provider, that he is merciful, and that he's deliverer. He goes, and everything begins to change. And this is the picture that I want us to dwell on. I'll, I'll end here. Because I go, man, if Jesus is telling us the truth, which I think he is, and if this is the correct picture of God, I think it has three gigantic implications for us as a church and you as an individual. If this is true, if God is really this type of father, first it changes the way that you and I view our life. If this is our father, isn't it true that you have nothing in the world to be terrified of? That you have nothing to be scared of? And yet most of us live our lives fearing everything except that which God called us to fear. 
So we're terrified of how we'll provide for ourselves. We're terrified of the future. We're terrified if we step out and share our faith. We're terrified if that person comes against us or if all those things happen. And Jesus says when you understand who your father is, it gives you this ability to just kind of... Because in every moment he is near, he is holy, he is king, he is provider, he is merciful, and he's deliverer. And it changes the way that you see everything in life. There's nothing to be scared of. It's weird being a dad now because remember when I was a kid, I used to always feel more secure when my dad was in the house. I don't even know why. I just did. And there'll be nights where Michael will wake up in the middle of the night screaming and I'll run into his room. And just because I'm in the room, he'll instantly be more comforted. And I'm laughing because I'm going, does he know who I am? Like half the women in this room could beat me in arm wrestling. True story. I don't know why he feels any comfort because I'm present. That's actually an insult to women. I'm sorry. Like as his father, I, I'm so incapable. And yet he feels comfort, comforted because I'm there. There's no fear. And it's such a terrible metaphor But Jesus goes, man, when you see the picture of the Father, you will live your life in ways nobody else is living. It changes the way you view life. Second implication is it changes the way you view people. Radically changes the way you view people. Did you notice in the prayer, he does not pray, my Father in heaven, give us my daily bread, deliver me from my debts. He says, no, our Father in heaven, give us our daily bread. Deliver us from our, right? Because as you and I begin to understand our connection to the Father, it changes our connection to everybody else. Malachi 2 verse 10 says, Was not everyone under heaven and earth created by the same Father? I have a unique relationship with my sister Sarah and my brother Chase because we share a what? Father. And Jesus says, as you begin to understand your heavenly Father, you will never ever find yourself in a convenience store, in a job, in a relationship, in another country, in a place in which you are not standing by someone who is not your relative. He says, everything changes when you understand your connection to the Father. In eighth grade, my history teacher told me that the real tragedy of the Civil War that it was, the first time, was that it was the first time in human history that brother turned on brother to kill each other. And Jesus reminds us in this prayer that every war is the Civil War. That every need is our need. Every hunger is our hunger. Every pain is your pain and my pain. Why? Because we have a mutual father. It changes your view of life. It changes your view of people. And it changes your view of God. Like the religious people, you're not pining for his external favor. And like pagan worldview people, you're not doing all these things in hopes that he'll respond. He says, no, like a kid, you'll sit in his lap and you'll talk to him. And you'll love him and you'll enjoy him. At the core of who Jesus was, was this understanding that the love of his father for him was unrelentlessly unshakable. And everything we see play out in Jesus' life flows out of this foundation that he and the Father were he and the Father. You know, man, can you imagine what would change at Ethos? You know, we're a few years into this. Some of us probably have bad foundations. What if instead of allowing our pride to hold up something that wasn't intended to stand, what if we just ask ourselves the question, do I view God as a good father and how does that change my life? You know, man, it'd be awesome. So here's what we're going to do as we go to communion. I want you to think about these things, God's nearness, God's holiness. I want you to think about God's power as a good king, God's provider. I want you to think about God's merciful nature, 
God's ability to deliver us from evil. And as you take communion with one or two or three people, I just want you to say, like, what aspects of God's character do you need him to reset in your foundation? Like, what aspect of his character, this picture of Father, do you need to see again? So I invite you to stand. I want to pray for us. We're going to take communion. We're going to share with each other. We're going to spend some time connecting with our Father.